This episode of Crucial Tech has been brought to you by a generous donation from Ian Thornton Trump, the CISO for SciJax, an IT services and IT consulting company in London, England. SciJax is an award-winning technology company and provider of digital threat intelligence services to international corporations, law enforcement agencies, and the public sector. And Cyber Protection Magazine and Crucial Tech thanks you for the donation. And now to our new episode. This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about technology that affects all of us in a format that allows you to consume it in the time it takes to go to and from the grocery store. I'm your host, Lou Covey, and I probably know more about it than you do. And if I don't, I know someone who does. But first... Okay, today we've got my first ever book review. Yes, I'm, I'm going to review a book on this on this podcast, uh, but let me give you some background here. Uh, I've got several gigs that I do because, quite frankly, uh, doing this podcast, being the editor of Cyber Protection Magazine, it doesn't pay the bills. So uh, I do some side work with uh, some publishers, specifically Manning Publishing, uh, and I also uh, am starting to do some uh, freelance work for a couple other magazines, still focusing on the area of security. But in my uh, work with Manning Publishers, uh, I got introduced to a guy named John K. Thompson, who is a data scientist of some note. Uh, and if, for most people, data science, it, it's something that makes their eyes cross. Uh, but uh, it's, it's becoming more and more important in our world today. Uh, and I got a chance to edit his book. It's his second book. His first one was a bestseller. And it's called Data for All. And in this book, he describes what companies do with our data and whether or not they should do anything with that data. And more, more importantly, what they owe us for that. So, Mr. Thompson, it is quite a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I feel like I know you quite well after going through your book. <laughs> In my work with Cyber Protection Magazine, I, I know how bad it is. You know, intellectually, I know that there's a lot of data being captured on us. But it wasn't until I went through your book that I came to realize just how big an issue it is. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what the reason I wrote the book. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's interesting to me because yeah, it, your particular profession, you, know, you make your money out of being able to collect this data and interpret it, and it almost seems like the book is biting the hand that feeds it. No, not no, really. You, you don't think so? No, I don't think so at all. It's you know, I, I I've been doing this for thirty seven years now, and. You know, I've learned that there, you know, when when we first started out, you know, yes, I was a libertarian, you know, get all the data, get all the regulations out of the way, get out of my way. Let me let me add it and, and I'll I'll do I'll do what's right. Yeah. But, you know, I want to get my hands on everything. And then, you know, the the industry grew and we got lots and lots of more people in the industry and you really couldn't guarantee that someone is going to do the right thing with the data. 
So that started to concern me. And I thought, you know, we as analytics practitioners, it used to be a very small community. You knew everybody. And, you know, you could talk to them about what they're doing and what they weren't doing and what they felt uncomfortable with and what they were queasy about. Now you just don't know. You know, you don't know what people are using it for. So I think that we need to have more control on how the data is collected and how it's used because we just can't guarantee that people are going to do the right thing with the data. So, and the other thing that I've learned is that over, you know, almost four decades of doing this, you can do pretty much anything you want with a small subset of data. Yeah. You know, there's these people that think you have to have your name and your address and your birth date, and you don't need any of that stuff. I mean, we do most of our work with no PII, no PHI, you know, we can, we can pretty much figure out and ascertain what's going on that we need to understand without any of that. So if anybody's telling you that they've got to have all that in their data set to do their analytics, they're just being sloppy. So, okay. So that's, that's the reason they do it. They just don't know what they're doing when they ask you for all that. Yeah, they just want to cast around at everything. They want everything in the data set because they might want to use it. That's not smart. Okay. So that kind of explains why this whole thing uses so much server server farm power is that they're just going out. So if we actually approached it the way you're talking about, uh, might actually reduce the power uh, uh, needs for the data centers. Absolutely. It would. There's no doubt about it. You know, we've, we're, we're now in, what are we in May, 2023 and generative AI has, has exploded onto the onto the world and yeah. everybody's talking about large language models you know and now you hear the innovators starting to say okay we've reached the edge of the the marginal improvement for large language models whenever i hear that i know we're at the end of the beginning now we're getting into the phase of where people are going to start using intelligence we're going to start using less data and getting better models and it happens every time it happens all the time okay. so when we started back you know in the early days of you know nlp and computer vision you know they take a billion images of yellow school buses to train a neural network to figure out you know is the bus up on its end is it sitting on its wheels it's on is it on its top is it facing you are you behind it and all these different angles now we don't need to do that we can train a network on I don't know, a few hundred instances, maybe a few thousand instances. So it happens the same way all the time in analytics. We start out with massive amounts of information and we figure out how to make the algorithms and the approaches much more efficient. We don't need that much information. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that, but you're the expert. I mean, I was reading, I'm reading this book. It's called Not With a Bug, But With a Sticker. Attacks on Machine Learning Systems and What to Do About Them by Ram Shankar Siva Kumar, who identifies himself as a data cowboy for Microsoft. This is about how every machine language uh, database has probably been corrupted intentionally. But they told this story about uh, a movie, and this was actually based on science, uh, where they were trying to sneak it is a science fiction movie and they needed to sneak into a, uh, a secure facility that was guarded by robots. So what <laughs> they did is they took their pug dog and strapped it to the front of their car. 
and, and as they, yeah, as they drove up to the gates, the, the robots looked as is this a car or is it a dog? <laughs> and they it's couldn't dog. figure it out. It in. So yeah, so they, they let it in. And uh, one of the things uh, this kind of made me chuckle, but also kind of freaked me out was this picture that they put in, in the middle of it. A data scientist in, in uh, Washington, D.C., in, in Washington State, went up to a park and was holding this sign. And you can see you know, it's got a regular stop sign, but it's got these yeah. two stickers on it. Cute little birds. Yeah, but those those stickers were completely specifically designed to confuse a self-driving self car yeah and it, they, they did it just they just zip right through the stop sign yeah yeah exactly so yeah the uh, uh the, the the thing the the solution the macro solution to all of this is always more not more data of a single type of data it's more types of data in an ensemble. Okay. Just think about it, Lou. You know, when you get up in the morning, you know, and you roll out of bed and your feet hit the floor, you know, your feet tell you if the floor is cold. All right. Well, there's one one sensor right there for you. You stand up and you look out the window and you say, ah, it's beautiful. I'm not going to need a coat today. You start walking across the floor and you're like, hmm, I should go to the bathroom. So in within 30 seconds of waking up, You've taken input from your feet, from your bladder, from your eyes, from your ears, from your skin. And that's what we need our models to do. Our models need to take in all the inputs that are relevant to the prediction and decision they're going to make. So when we've built models over the last 10 years, you know, we strive to have 10, 15, 20 different data sources going into those models because then those models make decisions in a similar fashion to the way we do in the real world. So it's not about having a billion images of school buses. It's about having a thousand, a thousand instances of the 20 different inputs that the model needs to consider. Yeah, and, and you know, that much kind of tracks with what I was learning last week at the RSA conference. Um, it, one per person put it that the human being doesn't have one brain. It has multiple brains. It has a, a, an imaging brain. It has a, an auditory brain. It has a memory uh, brain. They're all separate. And what we have now for artificial intelligence may be one of those things, but not all of them. Exactly. And, and what they're what they're lacking is uh, what another scientist uh, told me is called deep learning. And deep learning, you, know, you can, lots of people say, yeah, we've got deep learning, but what deep learning actually is, is multiple sense, senses. You've got to have uh, immediate data coming in from multiple areas, from, from visual, from auditory, from touch, from cold yeah. to heat. And if you don't have that, then the ML is not, not learning. It's, the AI is not yet an AI. That's right. And, I think the and, multiple I think the multiple brain metaphor is brilliant to tell you the truth because you know we we see all the time we see this all the time but we don't put it together you know we see you know people putting subjects into MRI machines and giving them you know reading them Shakespeare or showing them scary pictures or doing different things and we go oh well that's how the brain works well yeah that's one aspect of the brain 
you know, in, you know, taking in that stimulus. But if you give them a different stimulus or a different situation, it lights up a different part of the brain. But no one is really, from what I've heard, talked about it as being multiple brains, you know, encased in one environment, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, go, going back to your book, there was one particular section that really blew me away. And that was the chapter on the trip your, you and your wife took to Ann Arbor to visit your daughter and go to a football game. <laughs> yeah. Essentially listing out every data collection point in your trip from when you left your house to where you stopped for gas to where you checked into the hotel and then everything that came after that. That's the point. This Yes, I know this, but I, I've never visually comprehended it. Yeah. And it was, it was, I was laughing and I was also horribly pissed off. But then, <laughs> then, then you just said a little while ago that they're collecting the wrong data in that process. Were they collecting the wrong data on you? In my opinion? Yeah. Because they don't, they, they don't, they're either collecting the wrong data or they're using it in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, because at the gas stations, I always see Maria Menounos talking about green smoothies. I don't drink green smoothies. I don't care what Maria Menounos does, but they know I'm there. I'm using my credit card. They know what I purchased. They know how fast I drive. They know the last place I stopped, but they never say anything relevant to me. You know, I buy a Mountain Dew at every gas station I stop at. No one ever gives me an ad for a free Mountain Dew. Well, because they know you're going to buy it. <laughs> well, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, the movie Dave. You ever see that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember that one particular point where they're trying to rebalance the budget so they can keep a daycare program? Yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. And it is something that hit me, and it was absolutely true that they were funding an advertising program to make Americans feel good about the car they bought. Okay. And yes, that was funny and it seemed useless, but it hit me at that time. That's what advertising has become in this particular age. It no longer actually encourages you to buy stuff. It merely validates the decision you've already made because there is a great deal of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that it's, that's not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's an important thing to be able to make sure that you, you, validate decisions and that way you, you end up closing deals but advertising has gone from the front end of the uh, the the process now to the back end yeah it's yeah that's true the deal yeah yeah it, it's interesting i've done i've done a lot of work over the years in consumer packaged goods and retail and automotive and finance and all those different kind of things and, and I've always been intrigued how much money people would spend on, on advertising and promotions and, you know, the, the marketing mix in general. It just, it's, it, it has always seemed to me to be a huge waste of our GDP. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And you know, I just got back from a, a major conference, the RSAC, which is an absolute madhouse of marketing. And none of it makes any sense. I mean, not even the booth numbers made sense. I'd be walking down, okay, I'm in the 2500 section, I'm looking for 3500. And suddenly I'm in the 4900 section. And I'm going, yeah. what is it? And, and everybody has bought these banners to uh, hanging from the roof. To, yeah, and you can't so, see any of them. Yeah, too many. Because, yeah, there's too many. It's just absolute chaos. 
But let's get to the most important part of your book. Okay. Okay. Essentially funding the guaranteed minimum income. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 folks, if, if you haven't read the book yet, this is the reason you need to get this book. Because he has got a revolutionary idea. Here's the idea. That because companies consider our data, all this data they're collecting on us to be valuable, and it is our data, that those companies should kick back some of that money that they're spending to buy that data to us. And he's got the numbers to demonstrate that you would not necessarily have to work for a living anymore if they were doing this. So yeah, that's the that's the reason to buy this book. But here's the question that we got for you, Mr. Thompson. If companies have to track the financial transactions that they're doing with these data services, you know, they're they're buying this stuff. It's, if we can even convince them to to pay for it, I mean, there there are there are rules that the FTC is is going to be be making. The requirement uh, requiring pretty much every company that deals with any kind of finance, uh, financial information are going to have to follow certain security guidelines. I mean, right now, the, the, the banking industry, the financial industry specifically, is already under these rules. But this is going to be expanded out to anyone who is dealing with financial information. And your idea would make it probably necessary for every company that uses digital marketing to keep track of this and to maintain that security. And they're not, they're not doing that at this point. So all of these things, it's a great idea, but how do we actually get there? Well, the, the, I think the reason it seems so far-fetched is because we live in the United States. You know, if, if we were aware uh, of all the different EU laws that are now coming onto the books, the AI Act, the Data Act, the Digital Markets Act, all these different acts that are going on in the EU that are becoming coming into force now, it's not going to be that hard. They've, they're creating these data brokers, these data unions. These data unions are connecting to every company in the world. All our data is going to flow from these companies into these data unions. Then we go into those data unions and we can set the access policies. So we can say, you know, I'm personally not a fan of Meta, so I would never let Meta use any of my data at any price. But if I really wanted to, to make a statement, most people would let Meta use their browsing data or their demographic data or their purchase data or whatever it is, some subset of their data. And they'd say, yeah, I want Mark Zuckerberg to pay me a, a millionth of a penny every time he touches it. OK, fine, you can do that. Me, if Mark Zuckerberg touched any of my data, I would want him to pay me a billion dollars for every time he used it. So I don't think he's going to use my data. So you can actually send very strong messages. But back to the original point that you asked about, this is happening. This is going to happen. And it is going to start. It is starting in Europe and it will come here. You know, GDPR was was passed six years ago and everybody in the United States, all the hand wringing and the gnashing of the teeth and it's the end of the world and the Europeans are taking our sovereignty and all that other kind of stuff. Well, now there are six or seven or maybe even eight at this point, US states that have GDPR 
clone regulations. California is one, Massachusetts is one. New York's even gone farther than California in protecting data. Who would have thought that? But this is happening. So even if you just did what you normally do, you look, you read the book, you edited it. You know, if, if you're just a regular user, your data dividend is probably going to be around $1,600 a year. So, I mean, a lot of people tell me, oh, well, that's not going to change. You know, who, who cares about that money? Well, I don't know. I like every dollar I get. $1,600 is not something I would sneeze at. And it's yeah. not, and it's for doing nothing more than you do today. And, and that's what I found so brilliant about it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm all on board. I want to see this happen. Um, so, folks, that's the, the book is Data for All by John Thompson, John K. Thompson. It's available on, on Amazon, but you're going to pay a premium if you go on Amazon. If you go to manning.com, that's Manning, Manning Publishers, uh, Manning Publishing, excuse me. Uh, so it's manning.com. Uh, the book is actually on sale right now, and you can get a special deal. You can get both the book and the, the digital book for less than 30 bucks. And really, I know people, when I start talking to them about this stuff, you know, the, the common person, their eyes kind of glaze over and cross a little bit. But folks, I tr trust me, this book has been well done. I mean, it's a great concept. And, and the editor was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so, but it, it's, it's a great read. You go through it fast and it will teach you stuff that you have never known about what companies are doing with your data. So, uh, Mr. Thompson, thank you for joining us. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the book. Thank you, Lou. Thanks for your editing efforts and inviting me to be on your show. Sure. So since this interview happened, uh, there's been some news that has come out of the EU, uh, which relates to the last question I have. Do, do we think this is actually going to happen? And yes, the EU has a law that's coming into, into place very, fairly soon that essentially says your data continues to be your data even when you give a corporation permission to use it. And there's going to be a central broker where all this data has to go so the users can access it. That's going to be the first step into what Mr. Thompson is saying. Okay, uh, you're going to have to pay us for this now. Okay, this is the first step. But already corporations are freaking out over this and saying you can't do this. And they're playing the China card. Um, now, yes, we, there's some security issues with China about them collecting data about people. Sure, uh, I, I agree with that, but that's really not the issue. That's a smokescreen here. What they're concerned about is losing their profits off of this content, because right now it's a free resource for them. They don't have to do anything for it. We just give it to them willingly. And I think this is going to put a, a, a damper on uh, Mr. Thompson's concept of getting them to pay us for this data but still it's a first step so we're going to have to keep our eyes on that particular uh, piece of information and whether or not it's going to uh, stop it from going through so that's it for this week on crucial tech uh, i hope you pick up the book uh, also pick up the book not with a bug but with a sticker which is also very interesting it's a very good read and it's not too technical but it's really scary uh, this has been Luke Covey with Crucial Tech. If you have any questions, contact me at cyberprotection-magazine.com. Uh, 
Uh, you can put in a, a comment or question there, and uh, we will probably get back to you or maybe even use your information. Uh, if you uh, want to see this uh, program continue, you want to see the magazine continue, there's always a chance for you to uh, make a donation. Uh, appreciate that. Appreciate all the people that have made donations so far. And uh, you can also become a sponsor of the magazine, uh, which costs a little bit more than your donation. So thanks for listening. This has been a Footwasher Media production.